Welcome back to another episode of Stimulate Your Mind, proudly presented to you by LOF Productions. Welcome back, everyone. We're continuing on with our mental health series with Barack Hussain. And today we'll be looking at depression, the cause of depression, and everything to do with depression, I guess. We'll start off with the most basic question, what is depression, Barak? Assalamu alaikum. Good to be back and getting in depth with these mental health issues, especially trying to clear up misconceptions and misunderstandings and taboos when it comes to these type of topics. And when we look at depression, the first thing that comes to mind around people is not being happy. Right. When you hear that, it's like it's about being sad. But depression is so much more than simple unhappiness. It's when we look at clinical depression, it's also sometimes called major depression. It's a complex mood disorder. And it's caused by a variety of different factors, including genetic uh, predisposition. It could be related to our personality, stress, and how we respond to stress. Of course, there's also a lot of brain chemistry involved. And sometimes people get into that phase where you just can't get, just get over it. As you hear people say, just get over it or you know, do this or do that and you'll be fine. Because there's such a, a complex variety of influencers in terms of how it impacts somebody, it's not as simple as just being unhappy or just get over it. And so there's a variety of different aspects when it comes to looking at depression in terms of things that we're going to take a look at today. Now, there's a lot of things that uh, encompass depression, but what are the main causes of depression that you find in your, in your practice? There's not one single cause. There's not one single specific cause of depression. There's a variety of things like we were saying. And it could be potential triggers that are related to genetics, like we said, right? Or family history of depression. That's one of the first questions I would ask a, a patient when they come in is, what is your family history when it comes to mental health? Just like a doctor would ask about what is your family history when it comes to diabetes or cardiovascular disease or, or anything else? When it comes to mental health disorders, same thing. We ask about the genetics because that is a huge factor. There's also the psychological or emotional vulnerability to depression. So some people could be more prone to it than others, which is related to what we said earlier, the personality of the person or who they are. Of course, there are biological factors such as the chemical imbalance in the brain. And of course, when it relates to the endocrine and the immune system, so the hormones in our body, in our bodies. So there's also, of course, major stress in a person's life. That can be a huge trigger of that. And it could be related to physical illness as well. So is it the, the egg or the chicken, that could be related to this topic as well. Yeah. And when it comes to symptoms, and I know we're going to get into uh, more details with that, but sometimes when we look at illnesses, the result of another so depressive symptoms can be a result of another illness that could have similar symptoms and it could be a reaction to another illness so for example cancer or heart attack right and these are again caused by the neurological changes resulting from a physical illness for example a stroke so sometimes these physical illnesses can cause depression i've seen people who for example have been in car accidents and they were healthy joy of life, everything was going well in their lives because of a car accident that caused major physical disruption in their bodies, limitations to things that they were able to do before, fear of driving perhaps, 
other things like that, this then led them to have symptoms of depression. So this is a really good example of how we can take a look at sometimes how physical illnesses can impact and, and cause symptoms of depression as well. So moving on with the symptoms of depression, what are the main or some of the main symptoms that you find of depression? So the main symptom, of course, is sadness, right? So it's a despairing mood that is present in most of the days and lasts most of the days for people who are experiencing. So it could last for more than two weeks. I mean, we all have ups and downs, right? We all go through these days in different moods as we're in that constant influx throughout the day. But if it lasts more than two weeks and it impairs a person's performance at work, at school, social relationships, in our case, attending, you know, religious events and activities, sports, all of these things, then you know, that's like, these are the major signs and symptoms of them. Other symptoms, of course, can include changes in appetite. It could be overeating, it could be undereating, definitely have sleep problems, it could be more insomniac, have insomniac type of uh, sleep patterns, or you will be sleeping more, perhaps oversleeping, right? It could be a loss of interest in hobbies and people in work or things that you were passionate about before, right? Other symptoms could include withdrawal. So from family, from friends, from your partner as well. People also report feelings of feeling useless, hopeless. They could be guilt, right? They could be very pessimistic or having low self-esteem. It could be very fatigued, very uh, in terms of slowing down, right? It could be irritable as well. And the list goes on. But then other common things that we can connect with with depression is trouble concentrating, focusing, remembering, or decision-making, right? be very emotional in terms of easily easily triggered in terms of crying you can cry easily or you feel like crying but you're not able to when we go to the extreme end of depression and some of the symptoms it could include thoughts of suicide and this is where of course it needs to be taken more seriously other symptoms could include that loss of touch with the reality sometimes people talk about hearing voices so hallucinations or even having delusions, so strange ideas that they didn't have before. Everything here that I've mentioned off this list are things that I've seen with my own patients when they come in to, to look at what's happening with them, or even people who reach out from the community and say, you know, I've been feeling this, this, and that. How do I take care of it? What do I do? What's going on? So when we hear these things, I find when we talk about misconceptions and taboos, when we talk about somebody being clinically depressed, like we were talking in our first session, people become very wary of that and, and cautious and almost shamed and afraid, right? But when we talk about the description, people can connect with the description of what depression could be all about. And they're more likely to connect with that idea. I'm sure all of us here have experienced some of these things right. on and off. Yeah. But if it lasts more than two weeks and it's consistent and continuous, that's when we want to take it a little bit more seriously to start taking um, care of it. So it doesn't get into major depressive disorder. So it seems like the symptoms can range from both ends of the spectrums to in between. Absolutely, yeah. You mentioned main symptoms of depression. What are some signs of depression that are overlooked generally? What's interesting is that this is what occurs in males and men. The signs and symptoms can be overlooked when we look at the signs of men. So men with depression typically have a higher rate of feeling irritable or angry and discouraged. So this then makes it harder to recognize depression in men. 
you see it a lot in anger and perhaps it comes out in the form of abuse as well, right? Uh, when in fact, this person potentially could be dealing with depression, but is not looking at the proper ways of dealing and coping with it, right? It's interesting when we take a look at this fact is that the rate of completed suicide in men and the statistics we have here in Canada and generally around the world is similar. It's that it's four times that in, than in women, even though more women attempt suicide. And because this, this here, like we were saying, it's harder sometimes to recognize this depression in men. I also find that sometimes perhaps people will overcompensate with laughter and, and fake joy and, and happiness, right? Faking it till they make it kind of thing. And this, this, um, this is something that requires careful observation. So especially if it's a close friend or a family member and you know them very well and you know what they're trying to do, then perhaps you know that they're not truly expressing happiness, but they're perhaps covering up for something. So sometimes it could be like that. So it's really important to understand sometimes how gender also plays a role in terms of how depression can be exhibited. Now we find that depression as, as a word covers all forms of sadness and hopelessness and, and all the things you mentioned, but are there any different types of depression? Absolutely. There are different types. We mentioned uh, gen uh, the major uh, major depression, and that's generally what we hear when we first hear of depression, is major depression. So the other ones include the uh, seasonal affective disorder. And this is very common here in North America, especially in Canada, where when we drop to the minus 40, the sun sets very early and gets very cold with the snow. This can happen. So this is usually affected by the weather and the time of year. Already, I, I see some of my clients exhibiting symptoms of that and describing it. And the people who, who become aware that they suffer from this, if they become proactive in terms of making sure they get a light, there's um, great lights out there that you can get. I just saw one today, actually, when, when I went by Costco and, or drug stores, they actually sell these lights that are really helpful where you turn them on for 10 minutes and they're specifically for seasonal affective disorder. Ironically, when you put the acronym together, it's SAD, S-A-D. Um, a little bit of, you know, mental health humor there, I guess. But these lights, the therapy lights are wonderful. If you turn them on in the morning for 10 minutes, they're really bright and they help with um, the, the, the biology of the body, the biochemistry in terms of melatonin rather, which is linked to dopamine. Uh, linked to depression and when it's it, it's created in the body in darkness right so then when you have this light it helps decrease of that so it doesn't allow it to to be produced in the system which then can exhibit those symptoms of sadness right also when it comes to sad always recommending sitting by windows there's sunlight go where there's sunlight perhaps also making sure that if you're a student who's studying, make sure you're sitting by a window and get as much light as you can throughout the day and have bright lights throughout the day. Of course, at night, we like the softer lights, but throughout the day, you want that, you want that around you to, to help you with this disorder. Another common type of depression we have with women is the postpartum depression, right? And this occurs in women following birth. And this is actually pretty common. Up to 10% of women potentially can experience this type of depression. And it's something that's interesting that I find within the Muslim community, we're starting to talk more about this specific type of depression, because there's so much guilt and shaming involved in a mother in terms of not wanting her child and 
not wanting to connect with that child. And, and so that then increases the difference. It's almost like a, a cycle, a vicious cycle, right? So becoming more aware and that it's, it's a hormonal issue and that there are ways of slowly working through it. And I've heard this from women who've experienced this, that with patience and time and, and a lot, no pressure from people around them and judgment, they, they've been able to work through that. And of course, hormone working through that can be quite challenging. But once you are aware of it, then you can work on it. And of course, with the therapist and your doctor, there's also depression with psychosis. And what that means is that the depression can become so severe that a person can potentially lose touch with reality and experiences these hallucinations. So this means potentially hearing voices or seeing people or objects that are not potentially there. So, and we also mentioned delusions. So these are beliefs that have no basis in reality. So sometimes that can also happen. This, this can be quite scary for some people to see somebody in that state of depression, that it gets so severe, they've lost all touch with reality. And I've actually seen that with some patients where it was very sad to see where bright young students had future in front of them, but because of a few difficult circumstances, that triggered whatever they had in terms of their environment, their upbringing, their personality, or even their predisposition, the depression got so severe, they actually had some delusions as well as hallucinations. It was really hard for them to complete their school and get back on track. And I, I remember uh, a case where that happened with one student and we didn't hear from her after that. You know, pray that she slowly found herself later and got the treatment that she needed. And these cases, that definitely can happen. Another type of depression disorder is the persistent depressive disorder, which is known as dysthymia. And so this is when you are in a chronically low mood and with moderate symptoms of depression. So you're functioning, you're okay, but you're in that constant mood. And, and I would say sometimes a lot of people can experience that if they're, let's say they're predisposed to the depression. And then things happen in their life where they're constantly in that state. It can be challenging. I mean, it can be treated with medication and therapy and so on and so forth, right? But it's so challenging um, when it does happen and when you're stuck in it. That's the thing. When you're stuck in that cycle of it, it becomes really hard to get out of it, especially if you're not getting the help for it, right? Absolutely. Earlier, you mentioned that sometimes illnesses can cause depression, things like heart attacks or cancer. So how can you determine if an illness is causing depression or the depression is causing an illness? That's a really good question. And I think we need to look at it from both a medical as well as a psychotherapeutic uh, perspective. I don't have an exact answer for it other than in terms of what we mentioned. If somebody was fine, let's say, before they had an actual physical illness and then you notice after this illness, there's a change in personality and mood and energy, then I would say you can link it perhaps to that illness, right? Or that life incident. Somebody who, let's say, like you said, you know, if it's, is it an illness or is it the depression that's causing an illness? Sometimes depression can be seen as an illness itself, right? So, Again, it's, it's one of those egg or the chicken, and it's hard to answer that way. We need to take a look at the situation, the case, and look at what are the circumstances. Was it this actual illness that caused this person to feel this way? Or 
as the depression caused the illness. And sometimes look at it this way. If you are dealing with depression and let's say you're not eating well, you're not sleeping well, you're not exercising, you've pulled back, you've withdrawn from people, you're spiritually not in the same space as before. It could potentially lead to eating disorders or actually your immunity goes down so you could get sick as well. So absolutely that can happen. So it's really important to understand the circumstance that you're in. And when you have these types of illnesses, like major physical illnesses, and you notice the mood that, that changes after it because of, let's say, the biochemistry or that sometimes people lose hope, let's say people who are dealing with, let's say, cancer or even now, let's look at the world that we're living in. A lot of people are losing loved ones because of things that are related to the virus, right? And surrounding it. So even just the isolation, not necessarily the actual virus itself, but things that are related to it, isolation, the lack of interaction with people, social interactions, all of these things have really impacted people. If you take a look, for example, students at university where I work with, 99% of these students have told me this semester alone, that they are not doing well because of the circumstances of going online. So funny. these people were somewhat healthy, you know, they're doing okay. But then the situation of the pandemic has impacted their mental health and their wellness and impacted them in terms of how well they can do in their studies. But the online aspect of it has really hurt them. So you see here how the situation has impacted their functioning, right? So there's so many different ways of looking at this question. And I would say it's very individual. We can't, we can't have like a cookie cutter or paint the whole, uh, the whole situation with the same brush because it's so individual to the situation that either or, right? Either or can either the illness can cause the depression or the depression can cause it. So it's really important to be aware of the situation so that we can look at reversing the impact of it. So generally, it's about understanding your own personal situation and whether you have predisposition to depression or mental health issues, whether that can be causing your physical issues as well. Absolutely. I mean, if, if we just look at how physical illnesses occur, people who catch cold or viruses related to things like that. I mean, if you're going to go jump in the, in the winter in, in cold, freezing water, and then you go outside and start walking chances are you're probably going to catch something or your body's got is not re going to respond well, right? So your physical action here has caused a physical illness potentially, right? So it's the same thing here when it comes to depression, perhaps not saying you're doing it on purpose, like jumping in, water, in cold freezing water, but perhaps there are things around you that are happening that you're not fully aware of that is contributing potentially to you feeling low, but then it continues on, like we said, more than the two weeks with everything that we've described, it can continue on if, let's say you don't do something about it, or there's no intervention from friends and family outside. Absolutely. Now, this is something that I'm interested in generally, is can you be depressed if you are generally content with what you have? I think so. And that again, is related to genetics. Let's say, alhamdulillah, you have everything around you that you need, food, shelter, money, family, work, love, whatever your needs are. If we look at Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs, it starts off with our safety and then connection with people. And then it just moves on. Like, let's say all of these needs are met. 
What if you are still depressed during that time? Right? So in this case, then we can look at and not rule out that genetics could be a part of it. Sometimes it could be personalities that some people are just not grateful, you know, or not aware of the goodness that they have. They're just constantly negative, right? They have this very negative outlook. You have a lot of people like that here in North America. We call it the Debbie Downer. I don't know if you have an expression like that in Australia. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And so sometimes you just find that people just have this negative personality around them that could also impact that. But generally, I would say if, if you are depressed, even though you're content and you have everything, because sometimes people come to my office and say things like that. You know, I have everything I need. Um, I'm healthy and my family's well. I'm, I'm okay. I'm, I'm, I'm doing okay with my schoolwork. Anything I need, I have. But I still have this sadness. I'm still not content. And sometimes it is genetics that way. And sometimes what we do is we do take a look at medication at this point. And so myself and the doctors will talk with the client and, or the patient and see what they need. And then, like I said, sometimes it's the medication that can just help with the imbalance of the brain chemistry. That can go a long way in helping that person deal with this depression and still contribute meaningfully in their lives, considering that they have everything around them to make them content. Now, another question that I personally want to know about as well is, can you be be depressed without actually knowing why you're depressed? Again, yes. And I think that could be related to genetics, right? I, I, I don't. I don't think people understand the huge impact of genetics, especially when it comes uh, to communities, ethnic diverse communities, when it comes to mental health, right? We, we just talk about faith. We talk about God. We talk about if you read more Quran, a lot of things that we've discussed in our previous session. So definitely sometimes you can be depressed. Perhaps it's exhibited, like we were mentioning earlier with men, for example, with males, right? They could be exhibiting their depression and anger and irritability. And then we're not even aware of that, right? With women, perhaps, or just in general, it could be through the lack of gratefulness that we mentioned, gratitude earlier, right? So it could be these things that we could be displaying and we're not really understanding that perhaps we are dealing with depression. Sometimes it could be the physical symptoms of depression, like we talked about sleep, right? Or eating. And sometimes people could be experiencing lack of sleep and not understanding that perhaps it's part of depression or what they're eating or how they're eating more of it or lack of it. And I know definitely during the pandemic, that's been a factor, whether it's sleep or lack of exercise or more of it, or definitely our food habits that and diets that has changed a lot. So sometimes we could not be aware of it. And because we're so busy doing whatever it is that we need to do, or it could be because we're just so caught up in this that we're not even aware. So sometimes it takes being outside of that box or somebody outside of that closed circle when you're so closed up to say, hey, did you think that maybe, you know, I've noticed this is not perhaps it's hygiene, right? For you, for somebody, it could be just that they're lazy, right? They don't feel like it, right? But that procrastination. And I hear that a lot, especially with young people when they talk about, you know, I'm procrastinating a lot. I don't have a lack of motivation. I'm not interested. And sometimes it could be because of routine and lack of discipline. Absolutely. And we hear that a lot. 
lack of discipline of routine, a lack of discipline of eating, sleeping, exercise, of planning properly, um, time management, all of these things. Sometimes people just blame somebody for being lazy, right? Oh, they're just, that's just the way they are. They're just plain, simple and lazy. But in reality, it could be that they're struggling or suffering with depression and they're not even aware. Sometimes you need to look at the state of how the state of their house, their room, their clothing. Sometimes people will eat and just leave their cutlery in place everywhere and not throw things away properly. So it could be small things like that, right? Some people think, well, that's just the way they are. They're messy, <laughs> right? But perhaps there's an underlying issue there. It could be that they're dealing with depression. Perhaps it's a genetic factor, like we said, or perhaps it could have been another issue happening in their lives and they're not even aware. And it comes out in the form of trauma or triggers, right? Which then displays itself with a lot of things that we've described already. But definitely sometimes it could be genetics because sometimes I have client, patients and clients coming in and, and they describe what's going on, just like the question before in terms of, you know, they seem to be content, um, but they're exhibiting certain behaviors that show that they're depressed and they're not even aware. Sometimes people come in and say, you know, my mom told me to come or a friend of mine or a professor told me to come to talk to you because I haven't do been doing really well in my studies, et cetera, et cetera. But usually I was, and I, I didn't notice that my marks have gone down. So simple things like that, or it could be major things as well. Right. So it's, again, it's very individualistic. You need to be aware of these things to look at, how we can admit it sometimes it becomes really hard sometimes for people to admit that they're in a bad place they're in a difficult place they're in a, a place where they might feel judgment and a lot of shame things that we've spoken about before and so when we show that compassion to the other person who is dealing with it perhaps this is where we can reach out help them go get the support and help that they need perfect now what are some ways that depression can be diagnosed by professionals? Definitely going of to see your medical. Yes, of course. <laughs> uh, by by seeing your medical doctor. Starting off first of all with your medical doctor. Most general practitioners these days have the ability to diagnose and assess mental health issues, especially in the world that we're living in now. I know definitely in the clinic where I work in at the university. All of our family doctors, so to speak, or the general practitioners are able to do mental health assessments to see if there's depression, anxiety, or other types of disorders. Obviously, when you have more severe illnesses, you need a specialist if it's something outside of the generalist, just like we would when it comes to other medical issues, right? So you would first start off, and that's something that I would always tell people, so please go see your medical doctor. Then they could do a proper assessment. Then they could refer some medical doctors, by the way, just like we mentioned before in our other session, we were looking at who the, prof the professionals are. They can be general practitioners who also practice therapy. So general GP, psychotherapist. So they can assess as well as treat. And treatment could be medical as well as actual therapy. So usually when you go see a medical doctor, they would then refer you if they don't have the ability to do the full treatment other than give you medication. Then you are sent perhaps to a psychologist. Sometimes you can skip the medical doctor part and go straight to the psychologist, except you have to pay for a psychologist, right. right? Usually, yeah, the, because they're specialists, right? So unless you have insurance coverage, you're probably going to have to pay for that. The psychologist can also diagnose just like 
medical doctors, but they cannot prescribe medication. Then you also have psychiatrists. They are considered specialists. So then they would need a referral just from a general practitioner. So when you see a psychiatrist, psychiatrist is somebody who deals in more severe mental health disorders. Sometimes it could be for major depressive disorder, but definitely for bipolar or schizophrenia. You do have psychiatrists who also look at depression, definitely. And so they would treat with medication, but also do therapy or then refer to us, the psychotherapist. And so what we do is, although we cannot diagnose like the psychologist and the other two that we mentioned, we definitely can assess. What that means is that we can see the symptoms. And if we do need an actual diagnosis, then we make sure to get it from the doctor. But then we would do the treatment. So we would do working, rather, we would work on a treatment plan with the client. I don't like saying the word client because it sounds like, you know, I'm a life coach, you know, and that's something we're going to talk about later. They're patients, right? And, <laughs> and so when you work with, with the patient on looking at the treatment plan, it would be something you do together. Sometimes, though, some of the patients are in such a severe state, it's even hard for them to do the most basic thing, such as taking a shower, such as getting out of bed. And so what, what we want to do is do the tiny little movements of things to accomplish, those small little goals to accomplish. And when you take those baby steps to work on, all right, today I'm going to get out of bed. Because I've had some patients and students who tell me, I've been in bed all day, all week. I just go to the washroom or just grab a banana and I spend the rest of my time sleeping or crying or just watching series on Netflix, right? These are common things that I hear all the time. And avoiding schoolwork, avoiding family, avoiding work, it becomes really challenging. But if somebody is coming to you, that means there's something in them that believes that they can work through it. So then we work on small goals. All right, today we're going to take a look at how to get out of bed. Today we're going to take a look at Maybe take a shower, all right? We're going to take a look at making sure you have some kind of food for breakfast, maybe a smoothie. Because a lot of people could mention, uh, who deal with depression could probably, um, or, or would say that they probably feel nauseous. They haven't eaten properly, let's say. So then we start with, let's do smoothies. Let's start with bananas and yogurt, something really light. It's not oatmeal or porridge, right? So something really light, light, not very heavy. We've got to get some protein and carbohydrates and energy in you. So there's a lot of cycle educational factors when it comes to the treatment after we look at diagnosis, right? So, so you see, it's like the baby steps. And if we can accomplish this, then we can get on to bigger things. We also take a look at, especially when you're dealing with students, right? What can we do with your academics? At this point, like we mentioned the symptoms earlier, a lot of people could be dealing with lack of focus and concentration. Obviously, they're not going to do well in school, deadlines and things like that. So then we make an action plan to let's talk to your professor, your department. Let's look for academic accommodation. What can we do here to help with your studies? Perhaps drop a course, perhaps do a withdrawal of the semester and start fresh, but with medical documentation and proof, of course, right? So there's so many different ways of going about it. This is something that I work with students on a daily basis, and especially now during this time of year, November, heading into December and exams and the holidays, it's common. And so when we continue with the treatment plan, it could also potentially include medication to help with the brain chemistry, the imbalance that's involved there. Sometimes there's a bit of side effects involved with taking medication, which is where the doctor slowly monitors the increase of the medication or perhaps even changing because sometimes the side effects can be so adverse to the person, it'd be hard to deal with. Sometimes some side effects could include getting worse before getting better. 
especially when it comes to suicidal thoughts. And this is known about some medications, which is why a lot of people are afraid to go and use medication. But this is something that would happen, I would say, in any medication that you take, even for physical illnesses, there are side effects that can happen. So there just seems to be so much more stigma around mental health medication, right? So it's really important to understand that sometimes the medication can really help alleviate the symptoms of the depression so you can get on with your life, so you can get up, so you can exercise, so you can eat, so you can have more interest again. Some people I have heard have mentioned that sometimes the medication makes them feel numb, right? And I hear that a lot with clients who deal with anxiety, so with patients with anxiety. So when they, when they take the medication there, they just feel numb, not interested. Again, it's so different. Our body chemistry is so uniquely diverse that we cannot say that this medication is going to work exactly this no, way. Course, right? Yeah. And, and it's about mixing it up, not just like we said, medications, but lifestyle changes. It's about getting rid of toxic people, toxicity around you, the environment, right? Uh, changing things up in your life can go a long way, along with taking medication, eating, sleeping, exercise, et cetera, et cetera. All of these factors, of course, and spirituality, somebody who, uh, believes in the impact of faith and, and religion and psychology and mental health and wellness is so important to be aware of that, that that can also help alleviate, but it's not the first thing that we would jump to. Again, we use the analogy of somebody who's got a broken leg, mm. right? You're not going to give them, okay, here is this ayah from the Quran. It will heal the, your bones. No, not really. <laughs> it won't do that. And so the same thing when we talk to somebody who is broken in spirit, who is exhibiting a lot of the symptoms we spoke about. We want to, work on our basic stuff again maslow's hierarchy of needs yeah. safety food etc cetera, etc cetera. then we can work on the potential here and we can work on actualization we can work on getting to that safe space spiritually right and we can work on that and include of course spirituality and faith in the healing as well and, and we see a lot of people i i mean i have seen people over the years who live with depression just like they would with a physical illness, and they learn how to manage it. They learn how to manage stress symptoms before it really triggers their depressive symptoms. And so it becomes something that we live with. We know, for example, and I hear this from people a lot, especially during, as Muslims and as Shia Muslims, during the sacred months, especially of Shahar Muharram, right? Where it could, it's, it's, it's filled with grief and heaviness. And it, yes, it is us expressing grief for the Ahlul Bayt, the people who are dealing with depression, it can be quite heavy for them to deal with. And so it's important to acknowledge that and acknowledging that, but also deriving strength from these situations, right? Learning about the story in a different way that they, people can connect with it to become inspired, to help them, although it, it's, it can be very heavy. And sometimes people have a lot of guilt and shame around that. So if I won't be attending, or I won't be listening because it can really impact my depression. And, I, and I've heard people say, well, how do I deal with that? Is, is that wrong of me to do that? And in the end, I come back with, with what I've learned from the Ahlul Bayt is compassion. Of course, they wouldn't be judging you. This is about compassion and love. You are aware. You are honoring them in your own way. But you also have to become aware, not just for Muharram, but anything around you or events or people or memories that could potentially trigger your symptoms of depression. So it really does become about that psychoeducation and becoming aware what are the triggers, what are your specific triggers so that you can prevent. And I think that's part of what we wanted to talk about in terms of either prevention, but 
also being proactive. So essentially, the first step in diagnosing depression is to seek uh, help from medical professionals. Then, yes, obviously, follow the advice or the medication that they they give you. But sometimes, though, you know what? Sometimes, Ali, sometimes you can get misdiagnosed. That can happen. Just again, like physical illnesses. Sometimes you can get advice that just doesn't work, or perhaps sometimes you could hear things that as though you are not being heard. And I've heard that a lot from people who go to seek help. They give up on the process. Oh, the doctor said there's nothing wrong with you, or they didn't believe that this is what I'm going through. And so what I say to those people, if that happens, don't give up on the process. Leave that person. Go to another person to get a second or third opinion. So everyone's going to have their own way of looking at it, like their own lens of belief of how they're going to treat it or diagnose it. Don't give up on the process, especially if you're still feeling that way. 100%. Absolutely. To end for our second session in the mental health series, can depression be prevented? Absolutely. It can be prevented. But again, this is, depends on our genetics. If you're predisposed to it, you're not going to prevent diabetes if you're predisposed to it, no matter what kind of lifestyle that you have, right? It's in your genes, but it can be prevented and treated. Absolutely. With a lot of the things that we've mentioned already, right? When, and it's a tricky question. It's almost a trick question, Ali, when you ask me, can the depression be prevented? It can, except for the genetic factor. So prevention is better than the cure as we know by our beloved prophet and when you look at healthy lifestyle when you look at balance when we look at looking at how to balance our overall mental health and our well-being this is part of the prevention obviously like we talked earlier if you're not going to take care of your physical health you're probably going to catch something or uh, get physically ill if you're eating junk food all the time you just have to look at that gentleman a few years back that did that experiment with the mcdonald's food Within a month, and a, the cholesterol levels and all of what happened to him physically, I think he didn't make it after he even died later on. Isn't that correct? I think so. Do you yeah. remember that? I think so. So you see, he deliberately did that. He was experimenting. But you, you see, this was something that was deliberate that person did to their physical health. Same thing can happen to your mental health. If you are not taking care of yourself properly, and let's say you are predisposed to depression, chances are, then that depression is going to show itself, right? You're not taking care of your eating, your sleeping, your exercise, you are letting yourself become easily influenced by toxic people and toxic environments. Chances are, then if you're predisposed, your depression is going to come out. Let's say you're not predisposed to it, something's going to happen, you're human after all, right? So it's really important with the gift that God has given us, our physical body, right? to take care of ourselves, mind, body, heart, and soul. Because we are given our body as an amana. How are you going to take care of it, right, during your lifetime? And of course, it is very important to take care of it in a way to help prevent. Prevention, like we said, is better than the cure. And again, I'll reiterate, there's lots of things that we can do to prevent depression as well as other mental illnesses. However, because there are genetics and chemistry and hormones, because sometimes people could be experiencing hormonal imbalances, especially when it comes to thyroid issues, 
right? That's not something that you can uh, prevent, so to speak, unless, of course, you're with an endocrinologist and you're dealing with specialists that can help you with that. But things like that are outside of our control in terms of prevention, right? The things that are in your control are the things that we've talked about. And it is all about that overall healthy lifestyle, inshallah. Thank you very much again, Barak. Looking forward to our next episode. My pleasure, inshallah. Thank you very much. Stimulate Your Mind is proudly presented to you by LOF Productions. For more of our podcasts where we try to cover all the interesting topics happening all over the globe and also the personal stories of people right here in our own backyard. Subscribe to Stimulate Your Mind on Apple or Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. See you guys in a little while.